I certainly do want to say thank you to everybody that came yesterday to the uh, work day <clears throat> here at the church. And uh, if you're feeling left out, we'd be happy to schedule another one. <laughs> there was so much uh, the getting done around here, like a bunch of bees in the hive. And, and we really, I'm, I am very thankful. Appreciate Linda Stangle organizing that and all the busy hands. Amen. It was wonderful. Wonderful, wonderful. I might ask a favor to close the door on that side. This time of year we get a lot of uh, glare right there, and I, I want to see the eyeballs. Can you see mine okay? All right, so they glare. I'll take these off. And, is that better? Okay. Well, Ed and I are back from Waco, Texas, beautiful Waco. We're... Uh, it was a heat wave, 111 degrees one day, 107 the next. Even the locals were complaining. But, I mean, to go from here to 110 and about 80% humidity and nice big clouds, and you're saying, come on, do something, you know, let it out. Um, but it was warm. I made the observation, it's my own simple observation, that here when, it, when you're outside and you're hot, it's because the sun's on you and you're hot. This side's not too bad, but this side's hot. Over there, it's hot all the way around. You know, it's all the way around. You can't hide from it. It's just the wind blows and you feel like you're standing in front of the FAU, you know. You drive out and you think, oh, roll down the windows. You go, oh, roll the window up. Man, there's like a blast furnace coming through the window. <clears throat> anyway, I know I didn't go there to bring you back a weather report. But the weather report was given in the spirit at the symposium. And I do want to share some things from that just because we don't go on our own. We understand that. We go as representatives of the body of Christ here. And for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, we were in a cell church symposium with um, initially seven international leaders of cell church movement around the world. We had... I probably would get them wrong if I started naming them, but I'm thinking of Dion Robert from the Ivory Coast, West Africa, and Harold White's from South Africa. We had Eddie Leo and his wife Rose from in, uh, Indonesia. Um, who else do we have? Ed, help me out here. And, uh, of course, Harold Weed's got him. Um, we got uh, Mario Vega from El Salvador. He had, of course, Jimmy Siebert from Waco, Texas, a little... Little Waco's got a church of 2,000 people that have sent out 400 missionaries around the world real quiet-like. And uh, they're, in the, they're in there just showing the America that Cell Church can work. I know that Cell Church is not the panacea. That's why we met at the symposium. A symposium is a lot different than a conference because a symposium is an, a, a gathering of those people who are highly involved in the industry, if you will, I made the, the illustration that if you had a, a symposium of, of uh, cardiovascular surgeons, then everybody in the room would be one. And you wouldn't bring in a speaker to motivate them. You would let those who are leaders in the field stand and begin to address the issues that are being faced in the, in the cardiovascular surgery around the world. And then they would throw the dialogue into the tables. And we sat at tables of six uh, with people from Norway and, and St. Petersburg, Russia, and China, Hong Kong. I mean, there was people flew in from all over the world to this thing. We felt very privileged. I did to be there. I'm sure Ed did too. It's like, <clears throat> you know, you're sitting next to, shaking hands with the guy that's got the second largest church in the world, which is no longer Mario Vega. Mario Vega still can say has the largest church in the Western Hemisphere with 140,000 people in San Salvador. But Dion Robert, a little short guy about this, what's that, maybe 5'5 five, five or 5'6, five, six, 63 years old, 194,000 people in cell groups in the Ivory Coast. And uh, so next to Cho, he's the second largest church in the world. And we're fourth. Ha ha. Help, <laughs> Help me out here. <laughs> Fourth largest church in the world, yeah. Not even close. My goal is it to inspire you to become the fourth largest church in the world. I mean, I'd love to terrorize and see our community delivered into the hands of Jesus. That 20,000 would be fine. And then we can spill over on the 
the rest of the mountain communities, that'd be okay too. Amen. But uh, part of the symposium was to let these leaders from the international community of cell movement begin to address, is the movement going to continue to live? Because what happens is you you get this first level of this outpouring of the spirit of a revelation of how God wants to work in his church. And then people begin to figure it out in different places around the world, often disconnected from one another. The Holy Spirit just speaking and things begin to happen. Over the last three or four decades, this has been happening with the cell church movement. <clears throat> it's been called cells, it's been called house church, it's been called small groups, and there's lots of different looks at it. But when you pull the leaders together who are finding great uh, success in the Spirit of God moving in their communities, and they begin to dialogue together, say, well, we do very similar things, we just call it this. And, and we, we understand that you have to train people to be disciples, and God's calling the church back to discipleship. So we have a discipleship training track. Well, you do too. Wow, how about that? What do you use, and what do we use? And, and, how, and they begin to share back and forth of what is God saying to us, independent of each other. Now that we know each other and we're collected, what is he doing about the movement? Because if the movement doesn't continue... What will happen is we'll begin to build monuments. Movements turn into monuments. You know, somebody goes over here and says, it's cell church only. It's got to be pure cells. And over here somebody says, no, small groups is the thing. We're going to build a monument to small groups. And uh, no, house church is the only way. That's the real pure God method is house church. And we build our individual monuments. And then what happen is, happens is the movement dies because of the separatism. And when the movement dies, then we go back every year and hold a memorial. Right? We go back to the little tombstones we built. Our pillars of mind's the only way. And we say, remember the good old days? And the movement comes to an end. So the symposium was a calling together of leaders from around the world and other invitees that could get in under the wire because only 300 people could come. And as soon as I saw that splash up on my screen, I hit, I'm in. Order that. We're going. Their dialogue was to say, how are we going to maintain what God is doing so that we can see the greatest harvest of all time in these last days? God wants to harvest the world because he loves his people. He died for them, and they're still dying without him. They're dying without a knowledge of him. Beautiful testimonies are coming out of Muslim nations, by the way. Uh, the last great giant is uh, George Otis Junior wrote a book, The Last Giant, I think it was something of that title, saying that the greatest uh, hindrance to Christianity now is the Muslims. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit next week. But what's happening among the Muslims is that God's waking them up in their own communities. The imams are having dreams about Jesus and uh, him calling them to himself. And they're coming out of these dreams and talking in their own villages and saying, I had a dream last night. And they'll find a number of people had exactly the same dream throughout their community. And then they go in search of this one who's calling to them in their dreams. And and when they find a Christian, and the Christian is obedient to simply share the love of Jesus and then pray for them to be healed. Often this is what's happening. There's some sickness in a family or, or a miracle that's needed that no man can do. And God demonstrates his love to these groups of people by bringing them a miraculous response of his presence. And somebody will get healed. And when somebody gets healed, everybody gets saved. They just say, we've never gotten that out of Islam. We've never had a God that loved us. We've never seen the truth in this manner. And this is the real God. And we give our hearts and lives to him. I was with a gentleman two, three, maybe three weeks ago here in Southern California. Um, now, I keep this under the radar a little bit, even though we're a little church and they're going to put this on the Internet, I wouldn't like it to be searchable, is that their understanding that methodology, God is giving new methodologies, new revelations about how to penetrate Muslim communities and societies. One of the ways you can do that, check this, this just amazes me. I would have never thought of this. How do you get into a Muslim community, get people saved, and build a church that the Muslims will burn down as soon as you get done? And it's just a big target because they hate Christians. So you can establish what's called an independent mosque. A mosque can go independent and it's illegal. And so when the imam gets saved and a bunch of people in the mosque get saved, they just ask for independence. 
and they're granted independence and they can run their mosque any way they want to. So when you come to the mosque, you just worship Jesus. Would you have thought of that? So basically, all the Muslim nations have plenty of church buildings already built. And if you go inside and worship Jesus and train people how to live for Christ, nobody's going to attack it and burn it down because it's a mosque. Only God could have figured that out. In fact, this guy I was talking to said, we go in there and these things happen and we come out, all the leaders get together and go, what are we going to do now? Because God obviously did something. We've got to catch up. They begin to come alongside the Holy Spirit and follow the strategy. And it was a great time to hear that there's a high level of concern among the leadership in the communities around the world that say we need to see God continue to move. We need to cooperate with what he's doing by his spirit. And let's quit duking it out over whether it's a house church, a cell church, or a pure this or a pure that, or if it's a G12 or a G7 or an A15. Who cares? And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I apologize. But those are simply different models and structures of cell church. And there was a lot of warring going on the last 10 years about who had the right way to do it. It's coming down to where everybody's going, gee, it looks like God has the right way to do it. Let's do what he says. And uh, if he wants to change, uh, I appreciated Rob Campbell from Wimberley, Texas, who said one time, he says, I'm not, I'm not dying on the hill of G12 or cells. If God changes, I'm going with him. If this has been a revelation for a season to raise up and equip the church, then we want to be involved in it. If he moves in another direction, that's where I'm going. How about us? Yeah, we could get stuck. We say, no, God's moving on. We're building a monument. And next year we'll have a memorial service because the movement will be dead. Another one of the spectacular things that I wanted to share with you, um, and I do have a message as well, and hopefully they'll come right together, is that Ralph Neighbor Jr., if you know the name, wrote a book years ago called Where Do We Go From Here? about how was God going to reorganize the church and how would it live. And he was very disgruntled with the church. He wrote kind of a nasty book. <laughs> and he's a leader. He's 80, in his 80s now, and he was the one that put the symposium together. It was kind of his final hurrah, in a sense. But uh, hopefully it's not his final one. I hope we do something more. But he wrote a book called Where Do We Go From Here? And then later, uh, about 10 years later, he rewrote the book and in it updated it and apologized for being such a hard-nosed, disgruntled guy in the first book. problem is a lot of people haven't read the second one, so they still think Ralph's mad. But he was, he was mad at the church because the church wouldn't flex and move and allow people who weren't inside their four walls to get involved in the body of Christ. And he, he basically said, cell, the cell movement will never work in America. That's what he said. He just kind of threw down the glove in front of the American church and said, there. You know, the American church got mad about that. And rejected Ralph. And so for 10 years, he's kind of outcast. And then he comes back and he apologizes. But by then, the cell movement is so strong and the things that he wrote about are so in place that it turns out that he had prophetic insight and it was helpful. But he just went about it the wrong way. So now he's kind of patching his wounds up. But he asked the international leaders, during your uh, presentations, when you're uh, sharing, I want you to tell us here in the Western Church, what do you see us looking like? What is it that, why isn't it happening here? For example, Robert Lay, the man, uh, man from Brazil who was there. The guy's been in the Mennonite Church for 18 years as a leader of the Mennonite Church in Brazil. To me, I would say that was an unlikely spot for what I believe should happen in the church to happen. Robert Lay began to organize his churches into cell, teach and train cells, and for the first six years, and he was told by uh, Ralph Neighbor, he says, you're going to go through some, some uh, cycles. It's going to take about three six-year cycles if you keep this up for you to become accepted. For six years, he was rejected by all the other leaders in Brazil, and uh, they said, it'll never work, and you're crazy, and we don't do things like that, and you're a rebel, and... Then he didn't. He, he continued to make it work, and so in the second six years, they said, "Well, he's not going away. We'll guess we'll have to accept him." The third six years, things were moving so successfully that they began to say, "We think this guy is actually a bona fide leader." And in the 18th year of his ministry there, the Methodists, the Presbyterians, the 
the Pentecostals. Just name one. The leaders of the other denominations came to Robert Lay, this big, white, Brazilian, and said, would you train all of our leaders in all of our denominations how to convert all of our churches in Brazil to sell churches? So far, he's trained 12,000 leaders and pastors from all over Brazil. Now see, I mean, that's just, I mean, you had to wait 18 years of incubation and all that to happen. And, and uh, sorry, I don't have a Band-Aid and I just ripped the chunk of skin off my finger. I was so nervous here. I, just, I, mean, I have one in my wallet. My wallet's not in my pocket, though. So, anyway, I'll just use this and hide it. Okay. Um, isn't that amazing, though? Twelve thousand. Thank you. Can you can you be the nurse? Help me, help me. I'm bleeding. I've been nervous all morning. I just admit that, and you know, I do that, and I grab that hangnail, whatever the thing was, and I just yank it right off. And uh, thank you, ladies. You're so you're so merciful and compassionate. Get some duct tape. Yeah. I go for duct tape. Thank you. That, that's perfect. Thank you. Oh, okay, now I can relax. Yes. You mentioned that one of the things that came up is if you're in America and it's not working for yeah. the reasons it's not working, yeah. are you going to tell us about Yes, I'm going there. Thank you for the reminder. Um, thank you. I just wanted to point out that you know, that's the kind of, if you want to term that as success, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> uh, thank you. You got Thank you, bro. Appreciate that. Uh, I hope you're pausing this recording. Can you imagine listening to this on, online? That was an application of a Band-Aid. I'm healed now and I'm going to continue. But you have that kind of progress being made in the church and other nations. And then they're looking back at the United States and they're saying, you know, you grew up, you were blessed because God chose you and you sent missionaries all over the world to teach us how to find Jesus. We found him and independent of your training, God has given us revelation. We've implemented these, these methodologies, if you want to call them that. We're just following, reading the Bible, praying and doing what God shows us to do. And we're meeting with this kind of evangelistic success in the harvest. But then we're looking back to you in the United States and you have somehow forgotten God. Yes. And you have uh, walked away from your heritage and your roots. Now we're sending missionaries to you to try and wake you up. So Ralph Neighbor had asked, would you please stand up in your session when you share and just say something to us as a Western church and tell us how you see us. What do you think the issues are that America is facing? Harold White stood up, South Africa, he said, I can, I can tell you what the problem is in Western Christianity in a real short sentence. I can do it in four words, if I, my, my interpretation of what he said. He said, here it is. You ready? You know, like, what do Americans do when you get that? They yank out their pen, and they're going to take notes. Because we're conference-oriented. Well, we better get this. Don't miss this point. Don't miss this point. Four words. You do not pray. You talk about prayer. You have hundreds of books about prayer. You teach on prayer. You tell other people to pray. But you, as a church, you do not pray. And therefore, God doesn't have opportunity to answer. And you're stuck. Others stood up and said, well, you're a little focused on materialism and independence and some of the other accusations that we hear he says, you need to run back to God. You need to learn how to pray. You need to learn how to seek his face. We sang this song this morning. I answer the call. Hearing your voice. Are you hearing his voice? Are we hearing his voice? Excuse me, I did this last night, but as I minister this morning, I need to be here with you, hearing this, shaking my head. I'm not alone. I'm not independent of you. I'm not, I don't have it all together. I'm telling you what to fix. I'm just hearing what, sharing with you some of the things I heard. 
Now let me take you to the dramatic part. Dion Robert. I do this because he's such a little guy. And he's just 63 and he speaks French. And they're interpreting that. And it was all beautiful to me. Just, I like that stuff. He says, I come to the United States. You know, thanks for inviting us to the United States. I come to the United States and I, I look and I see you have books everywhere. We don't have that. You know, it's like if you you in the internet, you think the whole world has it like you have it. Check this out. In Mario Vega's life in El Salvador, he has to have the internet because he's connected to the international community. In El Salvador, it costs $65 a month to have high-speed internet in your home. The average person makes $120 a month. You, you would not spend half of your salary to have internet. They still read books. We asked them, how do you teach them? We have books. So really? How unique. You know, it's like those two teenagers standing on the corner and they're holding up a newspaper and one says to the other, he's looking, he says, can you believe it? Somebody already downloaded and printed all these classified ads. No idea, concept. Anyway, Dion Robert says, you have all these books and you read these books. You got a new book every day and books, you know, Ecclesiastes 12 says, of the making of books, there's no end. And study, uh, much study is weariness to the flesh. But he says, you read all those books, all those books, all those books, all the, you have all this availability. He says, I just have a question. Do you read this one? And this little Frenchman takes his sword out and plunges it into our chest. He says, do you read this one? He says, we read this one. In the Ivory Coast, it's real easy. We have God and we have the devil. There's nothing between them. Here in America, you got God, you got the devil, and you got this huge gray area where if somebody isn't healed, you explain it away. If somebody's having mental problems, you take them to counselors. He said, Why would you want to take one of God's children and put him into a secular counselor? I, I mean, I could take off. I'm not going to re preach his message, but he was laying at our feet again. He's saying, In the Ivory Coast, he said, We read this and we believe this is accurate. And we do what this says. And then he says this. Let me give you an example. Now, Ed, let me clarify before I start. Last night I asked the question. I was with Joel during that one time when Dion was sharing a second time on that day. Maybe he shared during that period the four-day thing. Because I did hear the first story, but maybe he tied the two together. So it may be one and the same. So you got 194,000 people and they're all in cell group. All of them. Hello? All of them. How many? 194,000. All in cells. I'm having a hard time with 15 cells getting y'all to show up, you know? Come on. Uh. New pastor. He says, let me tell you an average story, regular occurrence. I have a 15-year-old boy who's a cell leader. He's praying, he's talking to God, and God says to him, I need a big church in your area of the city, so I'm going to do that through you. The young boy says, okay, how are you going to do that? He says, do you recall reading about myself and Lazarus in the Bible? He says, I do. He says, I'm going to do that through you. He says, Okay. Somebody in his neighborhood, friend of his, knowledge of, you know, he knew who they were, dies. God says, I want you to go and, and uh, ask the parents of the young man if you can visit the body. Because they're just getting ready to put it in the ground and bury it, put the dirt on. That's the stage they've gotten to. He says, go before they put the dirt on him and say, could I spend some time with him? And the parents are, and again, I'm not... You know, getting upset with the denomination. I'm just telling you the facts. The parents are Catholic. Now, in the Catholic Church in the Ivory Coast, everything is laden with a superstition. And when they ordain Catholic priests at times, part of the entourage that comes for the ordination is the local witch doctor and voodoo leader. He has to be there in order for it to be bona fide. Now, you got to 
you know, hello, God, demons, God, devil. There's not a lot in between. And so you got the priesthood of the of the church in the area is ordained by the voodoo doctors. Okay, voodoo is not a toy. It's not a little thing. It's it's real stuff and it's demonic. So the parents are superstitious and Catholic, and they go and they say, okay, yeah, you could spend some time with the body. Maybe they're going to pray over it and keep him out of purgatory or whatever. So that would be a good thing. It fits our 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 motif here. Good, yeah, please do. So he gets his cell group and he says, God, what do you want us to do? And here's the body. He said, I just want you to walk around the body and worship me. And talk about worship. Just worship me. See, this opens the heavens. Worship invites God to come. So the little cell group is marching around the body, singing to Jesus. And then God begins to instruct the 15-year-old boy. He says, listen, now it's time. Me, Lazarus, you, and him. It's in the word. You've read it. You understand. What's the problem here is, is there's a demon of death. There's an angel of death that's got a grip on this boy. He said, you have authority in my name to cast out demons. I did it. You do it. Cast the demon out. And so the 15-year-old boy begins to declare the name of Jesus and says, every knee will bow, every tongue confess. Jesus is higher. You are under you must loose him and come out in Jesus' name. The kid sneezes and sits up. There's a big church in that part of the city now. And that's all that Dion Robert said. He said, now we have a big church in that part of the city. You know, you read the Bible and you do what it says. We explain it away. We're intellectuals. We say, well, that was for then and not for now. It's not changed. I'm challenged by being at the symposium to say, let's let the Bible be the rule. Let's let Jesus be the lead. Let's follow him. Uh, Is it going to be radical? Probably. Radical meaning it'll be a departure from what we think is the norm. But as others have said, I have a little book in my office, says, is revival the normal? See, we're always praying for revival. Why? Because something's dead. You revive dead things. You revive things where life is leaving it. You do CPR on the body that can't breathe for itself. And we get all excited about revival. But revival, the revived state, is the normal state we should be living in all the time. And the failures that happen and the issues that we face. And I know I'm I'm probably stepping across some lines here and I would never do it to offend but I would do it to shake and say, look, let's quit running to the world for the answers when the answers are in the book. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Let's, let's get back to the Bible. Let's read it and then let's say, well, that must be how it's supposed to work. So let's do that. And, and leader after leader, none of them were upset with America. All of them were saying, in fact, it was a prophetic moment when, the, when they said, listen, if the church in America doesn't stand up right now, if it doesn't make it through this most current challenge it faces and it falls, then the church around the world will begin to diminish as well because we look to you as our leadership. You're still the leaders. But right now, you're not leading well. And we need you to wake up and begin to take your rightful place and begin to get back to the Bible and follow God. Those are exciting thoughts for me. Now, again, I'm not pointing because I've been leading the church right here in this place for 25 years. That means for if there's a period of any demise or diminishing of the authority of the church in the local church atmosphere in the last two decades, then I'm personally responsible, right? And, I, and I'm okay with that. Because, and here's why, and let me tie the message in at this point. God is calling to his church. We've been hearing it all year. Cry out to me, I'll answer you. Pray, seek my face, turn from your wicked ways. This is the Spirit of God. What is the Spirit saying to the church? He's saying, pray and return to me. Seek me. Come find me. Next Sunday, July the 5th, is a national 
I mean, low-key call to prayer again. Another one. Lou Engel has put it out in front of the church. It's called Call to Fall. Some of us are aware of it. I mean to tell you, it's in like every other email I'm getting these days because of the networks I'm tied into. Everybody from Tony Perkins and Focus on the Family and the American Family Association, just start down the list. And the God TV, everybody is saying, listen, God has got a call out to call to fall. It's real simple. There's no special slick gimmicks uh, or any you know, slick advertising or everybody go to one place. It's just on July the 5th, would you commit to get on your knees and ask God to forgive you? Repent and ask God to come again into our body of Christ in America. Would you just do that? And so there's a place, and I'll show you here at the end of the service probably, where a little clip and show you how you can connect to it. But even by connecting to it and going to the website and saying, click a little button that says, I'm in, uh, it's, it's, you don't have to do that to participate. Nobody's keeping track. It's just the call of the Spirit. Would you come and fall on your faces before God and repent because in repentance when God puts out the call to repent and come back that means he's got the welcome mat out he's not saying repent or I'll kill you he's saying repent so I can get you back pray seek my face in the Bible there's something called solemn assemblies Sacred gatherings, holy convocations. When you're reading through the scripture, you'll find it. And just as a definitive this morning, uh, in Exodus 12, 6, where God is leading them into the Passover as a nation, he calls them the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel. It's a title. And so these delineations come to mind that an Israelite, at the most basic level, is he belongs, she belongs to a house. Okay, you can have a house. It could be your house. If you're single, it's your house. I belong to a house. And an Israelite at the most basic level belonged to a house. But next to that, they belonged to a family, which would be a collection of houses. It wouldn't be uh, out of order for a nomadic community that if I raised my children and my son got married, we'd just put up another one right next door very close to my house, another tent or another small structure, and he would live there with his new bride. And then the family would begin to be a series of houses close by. So that was the next level of connection for an Israelite in community. Beyond that, the next step would be a tribe. Then you'd have to include all my brothers and sisters, my dad, my parents, and my aunts and uncles, and everybody who would live then close to each other as well. That would be the tribe. And you get the 12 tribes of Israel. So you belong to a tribe in Israel, which was a collection of families. And then the greatest collection, then, or the assembly, was the collection of all the tribes. And God would call all the tribes together, and he called them the assembly, the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel. When he would call them together in these assemblies, and you look in Leviticus chapter 23 where he begins to spell out the different feasts of the Lord. And in fact, if you'd like to turn there, Leviticus 23, we'll just take the first verse. And I could read it to you, of course, quite simply. It says, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, The feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, these are my feasts. Now think about that just slightly. These are my feasts. In other words, I'm calling a holy convocation. I'm calling the assembly of Israel, the whole collection of tribes all the way down to the most simple house everybody come these were god's feasts we tend to look at the history of it and if we even celebrate one like passover or seder dinner or or whatever we tend to think it's for us to participate in what god's doing but god's saying no that's when i want all of my people to collect to me and they're my feasts and you are supposed to be there Think of it at Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter uh, 12. And they're going out there and, and um, Moses is uh, you know, telling the people to get together. Actually, not 12, it's Exodus 19. 
There were 12 was Passover, 19 there at Mount Sinai. And, and, he, and he, God says, tell the people to get themselves ready, to consecrate themselves for the next three days. And tell them to wash their clothes. <laughs> you know, it's been a little dusty out there. Get ready, prepare yourselves to the third day because I want to meet with them. Holy Convocation, uh, Solemn Assembly, uh, uh, Sacred Gathering. God says, I want to meet with my people, all of them together. Tell them to get ready, purify themselves and wash their clothes. See, that's an indication that holiness was an issue. You can't come to God unless you're holy. Get as holy as you can because I'm going to meet with you. On the third day, says everybody was in the camp. And God came down on Mount Sinai and it was lightning and thunder and God was speaking and it was rowdy and he had given the command, don't let him go past here because if anybody touches the mountain, animal, man, doesn't matter. When anything touches the mountain, it'll die. Don't even touch them. Just shoot them through with an arrow or stone them to death, but don't even touch them because they, they will have breached the holiness of God. And so all this activity starts on Mount Sinai And the scriptures would tell you in Exodus 19 that the people were in the camp and they were way afraid. They're like, oh. And it says, Moses went to the camp and told all the people to come out. Come out from your houses. Come out from your tents. Come out from your dwellings. And come assemble in front of God. God wants to meet with you. And they came out and it was so, uh, we'll read this in Hebrews, it was so frightening. Even Moses said he was afraid. But you and I have been blessed with the person of Jesus. Jesus conquered our holiness issues. We don't have to be afraid we're going to get stoned to death anymore. We don't have to be afraid we're going to get shot through with an arrow. We don't have to be afraid that God is going to somehow smoke us. Hebrews chapter 6. God still calls his people to meet with him, but he himself has conquered the holiness problem. So that we can. God still wants to meet with his people. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 19. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul. Both sure and steadfast. And which enters the presence behind the veil. Where the forerunner has entered for us. Even Jesus having become high priest forever. According to the order of Melchizedek. Jesus the forerunner went behind the veil. Into the holy of holies. As a forerunner. And he made the way open for us. We know on the day he was crucified, the veil of the temple was ripped in half from top to bottom, saying that the way in was now made open through his body and through his blood. We have access to the Father. We can come in without fear. But we must still come in in a repentant heart and a readied state. If you turn over to chapter 12 of Hebrews, in verse 12, Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. I tend to think this is my first memory verse after I got saved. Somebody says, you should remember my scripture. By then I was on a trip in Mexico, so I learned, Sin santidad, no hombre veré Dios. And I'd repeat it and I'd say, what did I say? Say this, sin santidad no hombre ver Dios. I go, well, what does it mean? It says, holiness without which no man will see God. I said, oh, I got to remember that. Problem is, I always think it's in Peter, and I can never find it. It's in Hebrews. <clears throat> holiness. Without holiness, you can't see God. You can't meet with Him. But God's not looking to exclude us. He's looking to include us. Look at verse 18. For you have not come to that mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire and the blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore for they couldn't endure what was commanded. The command, and if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. But you, you've come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly. There's that assembly, congregation, the whole congregation, that word again. 
the assembly and the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Than that of Abel, if you'd have to look in Hebrews 11 and back in Genesis, before Abel was killed by his brother, he brought a sacrifice that was pleasing to God, and God said, I'm accounting it to him as righteousness. And he says, you are come to Jesus, who's the mediator, who sprinkles blood that speaks way better things than even Abel found. You have access. You can touch the hem of his garment. You can receive from God, but you can't come without repentance and, a, and a, an attitude of, God, forgive me, I don't deserve to be here. One of the things that I'm calling for us this week is uh, next Saturday night we won't have a celebration service here. It'll be Everybody will be celebrating out around the lake, watching fireworks or hiding in your homes from the traffic, one of the two. It's really a pretty good time to go grocery shopping. If you need to, because nobody's there. Go out, go out to dinner. I mean, the restaurants are empty, right? It's a little late to be eaten, but... We won't have a service here on Saturday night, but we are going to have prayer first on Friday. And I believe it's part of what God's saying to the church. Come gather. Come gather and pray. Seek my face. It comes back to that Second Chronicles 7.14 of my people who are called by my name. See, the world can't do this. You know, the problems in America are only going to be solved by the church. The problems of America can only be solved by the church. See, now we have a different paradigm in America. We all know we got politics, we got politicians, we got laws, we got civilization, we're civil people. We can work these things out. That's one of our problems. So we think we can do it. And we've messed it up. And the church is getting the call from God. Hey, you got to answer the call. Not just the call to fall next Sunday. But the call to respond, because even our financial crisis, Dr. Cho, if you don't know Dr. Cho, pastor of the largest church in the world, Seoul, Korea, he said the financial crisis that America is in right now can only be solved by the American church praying. They're not going to fix it on Wall Street. The corporate America is not going to fix it. In fact, you're mad about that. Yes. Yeah, and you, you say, where's my rebate or whatever? Those things are not going to fix us. Only the church, coming back to its rightful place, can fix America. And if that's true and God calls us to pray and respond, then we must respond. We must become the congregation. We must become the whole assembly. We must say, this is more important than whatever I had planned. God wants me out at Mount Sinai. There's rumblings and fire and lightning, and, th- and I've got to show up for duty. Well, we don't have to go to that fearful place. God says, come to Mount Zion. I'm inviting you to respond to the call to pray. If you'll pray and seek my face and turn from your wicked ways, then I can hear from heaven. I will forgive your sins and I will heal your land. Other countries around the world where the church is standing up and answering the call to prayer are seeing God move even in the political geostructures of their countries. Dr. Cho related the account that when he was, uh, this goes back to, most of you will remember the mad cow disease problem between us and Korea. I may have shared the story before, but I, I like to share it because it's just a demonstration of two things. One is how well the cell church works and how God can be put on the throne of a nation in a heartbeat. There are riots in the street, in the main squares of Seoul. People are marching and saying, you know, Send the Americans out of here and tell them to take their mad cow disease with them. They're ruining us. And there are riots, anti-American riots in the streets. And the, the president calls Dr. Cho and says, look, I can't send in the military. It'll be worse. I can't get this thing to squish and stop by just, I don't have any means. Can you help me? And Cho says, I can, I can have 100,000 people in the square Shortly. That's the beauty of cells. I mean, just call the leaders. The leaders. And in a very short period of time, everybody knows the call. So out of this church, 100,000 people show up in the square. And they just begin to sing and to worship. They do the same thing the 15-year-old boy in his cell did around this dead body. 
or that I should say this captive body wasn't dead. It was just being held by that demon. And they just, in the square, they begin to worship and pray and invite God to come. And they tip this anti-God spirit out of the square and they begins to rule it with the presence of God. And the whole thing quieted down. There wasn't any riots for another three months because the church showed up and took dominion in the spirit. I know I'm stretching our minds a little bit, but that's how it works. Shortly thereafter, President Bush was supposed to visit Korea, and Dr. Cho laughingly shares the story because riots in the streets again, anti-American, you know, protests, and and uh, the president calls and says, uh, "President Bush is going to be here in Korea in three days, and there I can't stop these riots. It's terrible. Can you help me?" And Cho says, "Could you give me a little advance notice? You gave me three days." But that's okay in the cell movement. I can get 100,000 people in three days. I'll just make a few phone calls. And they showed up. It was pouring rain. And they danced and they sang and they worshipped. And it drove that anti-American spirit out. It drove that demonic. Cho just told the president of Korea, said, listen, this is a demonic thing. It's trying to ruin the nation. It's, it's God or the devil. So this is the devil. And we represent God. So we'll come to the square, we'll pray, and we'll sing, and we'll worship, and we'll invite God to come, and we'll dispel this demonic spirit. No riots. You think, uh, maybe I could get a call from President Obama. Jeff, things are bad in Big Bear. Could you get the church together? Probably not going to call. But God's calling. Uh-huh. We're like the Hebrew national guys. We answer to a higher authority. What's God calling us to do? Proclaim a fast. Now this is, oh, oh no, not that part. Listen, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to sincerely consider being here on Friday night to pray. If we don't fit in here, that's fine. We'll go outside. Let's get together. Let's seek his face. Let's turn from our wicked ways. Let's intercede for our nation. Let's begin to do what God wants us to do. Let's be the church in action. I'm not doing this just to get a big prayer meeting. I got bigger dreams than us praying in this building. This is just a start. But we need to start. On Sunday next, on July the 5th, after we've been out doing fireworks and all stuff the night before, I would ask you to consider doing this. And, and I know we got a kind of mixed crowd sometimes. So um, Calvary Chapel, Believer's Chapel, Christian Center, Foursquare. If you go to the Call the Fall website and say look for a church that's participating in Call the Fall, you'll find those at least listed so far in our community. And when I went to the website and I saw that these churches were participating in Call the Fall, the next question that entered my mind was this, why are we doing it separately? Why are we doing it separately? God called all the tribes together when he called them. And when there's a call to pray, we don't hunker down inside our own walls and say, hide from the other guys. We go, we're going to pray to God and our prayers will be answered, not theirs. We know what they're doing. Listen, I still have these things in my mind. I'm going to share them with you. One day one of them is going to happen. You're going to go, sit. well, it didn't happen finally. Jeff, you're not crazy. But in my mind, I... Saw us on Sunday afternoon next, on July the 5th, just sort of loosely, quietly, spreading the word, person to person. Some of us want to get together at the football field or at Meadow Park, some wide open space, big enough to hold a lot of people. We're just going to show up at 3, and we're going to begin to pray and seek God. And the grassroots movement begins to flow through the community. Cars start pulling in and parking. You know what? You don't need permits. You don't have to have planning. You don't have to get past the city government. You just go show up for duty in that place. And maybe we march around the village and pray, and they'll find somebody and haul somebody off for jail because you don't have a permit to have a parade or whatever. I don't care. They need us to take dominion in our community by the Spirit of God through prayer and worship. We don't have to be crazy, you know. I know some of you get a little rowdy, you know. I can see you walking up the village, praying and singing and and wondering if you should be embarrassed, but some of you are going to go get the barber shop and go, Jesus' name, Jesus' name. You know, you're after the barber. Or Wings Jewelers. Jesus! 
That's okay. We'll we'll just offer you to them when they want to jail someone. Why don't we do it together? Why don't we call the tribes? Would you maybe even pray for me? To be able to make the call to the other leaders and somehow convince them. God, would you, I don't know how it's going to happen. Can you break through or call one of them to call us? I don't care how it happens. But God, fulfill the burden of your heart. Shake us out of our salt shakers. Get us to come together. Not dicker over, is it this way or this way or this way? Try not to get offended because somebody spoke in tongues and you don't believe in it. Well, just go to the other side of the group. Get away from them. Or let them lay hands on you or something. I don't know. But we've got to break down the separatism that exists when God calls his whole assembly to gather. He's not saying do it collectively by tribes and stay away from one another. He's saying respond to me. I'm glad that the churches are calling or answering the call to fall, but it's bigger than that. You know, the call movement around America has been a, a predecessor and a, and a, a, a you know a wick that has been lit and it's burning towards an explosive response in the church. We must respond. But next weekend, there's a call for a solemn assembly. I'm going to ask you to do this. Would you fast just before you come to church? Bring your breath mints. Because we could we could just get on our faces and get on our knees next Sunday together. It will arrange the chairs a little more open so we can literally get on our knees together and pray. So we might want to just lay prostrate before God. That's okay. We're going to take the whole time. I still want to preach. I have a message that God's given me, and I believe it's important. So we'll do that too. But we will give our hearts over to prayer and intercession and seeking His face together. And then maybe it'll leak out. And Sunday afternoon we'll be somewhere. Or Sunday evening. Or maybe we'll actually pull it together and grab the convention center and all get in a big building. I I don't care about buildings. If it's nice out, let's go outside. We need to walk the village and pray. We need to, you know, do a crosswalk kind of thing. Let's do it. Whatever God tells us to do, that's what we should do. But we have the answers. You carry the answer within you to the freedom of our community. And we need to activate it. Fasting is one of the things that humbles us. Um, you know, so usually when there's a call to uh, a sacred assembly, it's, there's usually some fasting going on around in there. And you can find it all through the, the Old Testament for sure. Joel is classic. In the book of Joel, verse uh, 14, consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly. See, they kind of go together, fasting and sacred assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Chapter 2, verse 1. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand. Verse 12. Now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and with mourning. So rend your heart, tear your heart, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. Who knows if he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people Sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and nursing babies. <laughs> I have to look at you. Let the bridegroom go out from his chamber. Let the bride from her dressing room. Listen, that is a call to tell the engaged couple to postpone their wedding for the moment. Quit getting ready to get married. This is more important. Let the priests who minister to the Lord weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord, and don't give your heritage over to reproach. 
that the nations should rule over them. Why should they say among the people, where is their God? And that's where we're at in America. They're saying, where's your God? Nothing's changed. Nothing's different. God hasn't changed. The church has changed. God is not weak. The church is weak. The coach is okay. The team's a little shaky. 1 Peter 5 says this, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Can I put a simple test to us this morning? God resists the proud, gives grace to the humble. Let's put America on this balance. How many say that America is humble? No hands. How many say America is proud? Some of you think you want to be nice to us and we're somewhere in the middle. We're a proud nation. You know what? We used to have a lot to be proud of in a very appropriate way. We could say we're a humble nation. We can be proud of the fact that we're humble. And we could say we, we have much to be thankful for. God has blessed us. He's poured out his, his care over us. We're able to send missionaries. We're a giving nation. We give more than anybody else does. We can't say those things anymore. Other nations are out giving us. Other nations are sending more missionaries. Other nations are more appropriately involved in the kingdom of God and its advancement on the earth than we are. We're about us now. God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. The only people that can truly humble themselves and pray and seek his face are those who are called by his name. The world is not going to do this. We have to lead. The church has to lead. When we fast and we draw our souls out to the hungry, according to Isaiah 58, uh, God says his promise is to make us like a watered garden. He'll be our sustaining. He'll be our blessing. He'll be our life source. I'm not asking you to do anything that would cause you, uh, you know, some of you, fasting is really an issue for you. You know, it's, it's, it's dangerous for some people. You need to be cautious about that. I would never ask you to do that. But I do ask those who can move by faith to say, I'm going to believe God will make my soul like a watered garden if I draw my soul out of the hungry. I'm just asking that when we get up on Sunday, July the 5th, we don't eat before we come here. And when we gather, we worship in a fasting state. And when we kneel and pray and ask God to forgive us, we're in a fasting state. Because fasting goes along with humility in the Bible. God resists the proud, gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. I'm calling us to answer the call. The scriptures teach it, why we need it. Our history records it. In this nation that when people were humble and they answered God and they fasted and they prayed and they did what God wanted to do, we had victory. And when we didn't, we were beat up, just like the Israelites. And thirdly, I would say our nation needs it. God knows it. And he has a plan that's way beyond just us. It's not about America. It's about what he's doing around the globe and the kingdom of God. And we have got to stand up and be a part of it. You just rehearse the past decade, you know, go from 9-11 to the war, natural disasters, financial and moral collapse in our nation. You know, we are witnessing what happens to a nation when it turns its back on God. But you and I have the answer. We can, we can come back. God is making a pathway back for us to walk. And uh, as I like there's an old country song that says it's, it's hard to fall when you're on your knees. I, can't, I don't fall when I'm on my knees. The pathway back begins with humility and brokenness before the Lord. A desperation to find the face of God. And there's a difference. A lot of us seek his hand. God bless me, give me, help me. I need, I need, I need. When we finally say, Lord, I love your hand. I love the blessing, but could I put it aside? I need to see your face. I need to hear from heaven. I don't need all the other stuff. Let it go. It's not about material prosperity. It's about being alive in the Spirit, seeing His face. 1 John 3 says, we're His children. I said this last week, and we don't, we don't yet know what it means to be like Him, but we know this, when we see Him, we'll be like Him. Oh God, I love your hand. 
But if you have to remove your hand of blessing from me so that I can see your face and be changed into your image, then remove your hand. If God has to remove his hand from America and blessing it so that we come looking for his face, then so be it. And I think we're there. It's not as bad as it could be, but it could get worse. Amen. Mercy. And there are two times when solemn assemblies and sacred assemblies and holy convocations were called. And you look in the history of the Bible. One, it came before disaster. Jehoshaphat, 2 Chronicles 20. Five nations against one. God uh, were outnumbered. They call a fast. They humble themselves and they pray. Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. God delivers them. So before disaster, if you humble yourself and pray, you can avert disaster. The other time is, this doesn't happen, disaster strikes, and the fallout occurs, and you end up in Babylon for 70 years. You're under the rule of your enemies. And then you humble yourself and fast and pray, and God returns you. Good place to read is Ezra chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 10 talks about those things. We have to become desperate to find the face of God. We have to have a heart cry for the mercy of God. God, be kind to us. We don't deserve it, but we need your mercy. A desire to turn from all of our sinful ways. I hope you're sensing and feeling a greater gripping on you when sin comes into the picture right now. I'm sensing it. When there's opportunity for sin or whatever it is that that tempts you, when it comes up, there's a stronger repelling right now. There's a stronger offense that I feel comes in the spirit. And, and it's getting, for me, thankfully, it's getting a little easier to say no to ungodliness and to say yes to righteousness. Let's take advantage of that moment. It's a gift from God, a desire to turn from our sinful ways and a resolve to return to the ways of God. And that takes me all the way back to my little friend Dion Robert. When I say I have a resolve that I want to return to the ways of God. I'm not against all the other books, but I sure want to know what this one says. And I want to begin to just say, you know, if it's in there and it says do that, I should do that. Jesus sent out his disciples, his apostles, two by two. In Luke chapter 9 said, go, announce the kingdom of God. That means that God is in you. God's right here, right now. And healings happened and raising the dead happened and... Miracles took place. And these were signs that declared Jesus' glory. Look at John chapter 1. So that we, the signs and wonders started when Jesus did the wine, the water into wine. and said this was so that his glory could be manifested. Jesus prayed in John 17 that God, Father, I'm coming back to you and the glory you gave me I give to them. Jesus, after the resurrection, went and breathed on his disciples and said, As the Father has sent me, so send I you. 15-year-old boy, just do what I did. Man, we should be lining up at the hospital. I'm in here first. You wait. I'm going in and praying. (laughs) I was here first. (laughs) Delivering the sick. Quit sending the mentally disturbed to counselors. Let's get the demons out. Let's give them freedom. Let's speak balance into their physical system. Let's lay hands on the sick and see him recover. Why don't we go there first? Ask the sick person, would they rather have God heal them or would they rather be in counseling or therapy or uh, you know, pharmacy stuff for 10 years? I think they would say, I'd like to be healed. The blind man, Jesus is standing in front of him. What do you want? What do you want? What do you want? Jesus always asks, what do you want? You think he didn't know? He knew what they wanted, but he always asked them, what do you want? Declare what your need is. Declare that you have a dependence on me. Declare that you need me to do something for you, and I will do it. Lord, I want to see. That's easy. Jesus wants to move through his church again, but we're weak. God will help us to get back to you. I'm going to get a couple, two, three guys. Would you help me pass these out, one to everybody? Uh, please, you can double, triple team it, it's fine. Um, that'd be great. Just pass them around. This is for your benefit. Uh, I think it may be enough here. This is so you can have a, a, in your hands an urgent proclamation to the churches in America, a call to solemn assembly.
This is also in the uh, in the online download for Lighthouse Keepers. It's it's in there as well in case you need to reprint some for your cell groups this week. Uh, within your cells, please move in this direction. Bring us, point us towards Friday night. Uh, bring us towards Solemn Assembly on Sunday morning, July the fifth. Let's rend our hearts, not our garments. You know, there was an act of repentance and dismay in the Old Testament. Uh, you know, when something went wrong, they would tear their garments as a display of, of uh, sorrow and mourning. And God's saying, don't tear your garments anymore. Rend your hearts. Let it come inside of you. And I'm going to ask Ed to go ahead and run this clip from the Call the Fall website. And so you you can see it, and uh, you'll have that he might forgive my sins and heal our land. There's a place to click that little button. I'm in. No requirements. Just I'm in. Just says they're going to add your name to the to the list over there on 24,000 people. And uh, you, if you watch it, if you're like me, I wanted to see my name pop up right below there. It says recent co- commitment, and this one happens to say Cole from Louisiana. I clicked and said, Jeff from Big Bear City. I said, yes, I'm in. Nobody's keeping track. God's keeping track. But even while we rejoice in that, how many people live in America? 350 million, something like that, 380 million people. And we've got 24,000 people showing up for duty. The remnant arrives is exactly right. If those were all churches and they had 100 people in each one, we're still pretty far below answering the call. But it's a start. And I say, let's get started. Are you with me? Yes. Heavenly Father, we're in. We're answering the call. We want to obey your voice. We want to follow your ways. Lord, help us in declaring a holy fast and a sacred assembly along with others in our nation. Help us to understand we're going to kneel together with millions of people, not just thousands. Between now and then, your call is going to be answered. I understand that and I believe it and I'm grateful for it, Lord, that we are not alone. But you are summoning the elders and all who live in the land, as you've said in your word, to come and to cry out. Help us to return, Lord God, with all our heart, fasting and weeping and mourning. Help us to rend our hearts and not our garments. Lord, we want to return to you. Thank you for your gracious, compassionate heart. Thank you for being slow to anger and abounding in love. Thank you because you have relented from sending calamity upon us. You have been gracious to us. May we respond accordingly. And may your anointing come. In Jesus' name. Lord, lead us whatever you want us to do. Help us to hear clearly and cause the church to respond. We want to become part of the answer, not the problem. We want to be the solution, not the irritation in our community. We ask it in Jesus' name. Put us according to your word. Set us on high. Let the manifold wisdom of God be made known to principalities and powers through the church. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.